Hey, gorgeous. Welcome to Bombshell Radio. I'm your host, Jackie Dixon, best-selling author of The Bombshell Manifesto. And my mission is to help you live your manifesto as a biblical bombshell who is healthy, holy, and hot, fully on fire for God, even in the tough areas of body, beauty, and intimacy. I believe our calling is to be fiercely feminine, spreading the gospel as a powerful woman, living out her assignment in all ways. Each week, I'll be giving you motivation, inspiration, and top tips for bombshell living, as well as interviews with bombshells at the top of their game in health, marriage, motherhood, business, and beyond. So you can be inspired to live your own bombshell journey, exploding onto the scene in a way that sets you free and sets the world on fire. Ready, bombshell? If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can find Bombshell Radio in iTunes, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, and Himalaya. And while you're there, be sure to leave me a review. I'd love to know your thoughts, and I'd love to know who you'd like me to interview next. Hey, friends. Welcome to Bombshell Radio. This is kind of an interesting episode, a really sweet one, in that this is the first episode of the relaunch of the VLX podcast, which is now known as Bombshell Radio. And it's also the last episode that we'll be filming in 2018 because today is New Year's Eve. And I'm already dressed up, actually, in the outfit that I'm going to go out tonight with my husband in. We're going to go see a fireworks show that they shoot off of the Reunion Tower in Dallas. And it should be pretty epic, so I'm super excited. But I am really thrilled to be here with you and share with you today 18 lessons that 2018 taught me. So, 2018. Hard to believe, isn't it, that another year is over. And I'm not going to say this one flew by, but so much happened in it that it may as well have. So I became a mom for the second time, and now I'm a hashtag boy mom and a mama of two, had a beautiful hypnobirth, moved out of the D.C. area once out of our home to my parents' home in Maryland for a month, then from Maryland all the way to Dallas to be here with my in-laws where I am now. And then we are kind of hanging out here for a couple months and then we'll be moving on to California. So these were full on move outs. It was intense. And I'll, I'll talk about some of that in some of these lessons. And then my business has just really exploded this year. And um, it's been incredible to be able to serve women who I've never met before, who just found me on the internet and really walk them through some of the most dramatic life transformations that they've experienced. So it's been an incredible year on a lot of fronts, but... Um, It's also taught me a lot of lessons, so that's what I want to dig in to with you guys today and hope that some of these are, you know, at worst they're just interesting and maybe at best they are inspirational and informative and helpful to you in some way, even if it just makes you reflect on what your life lessons were this year. Or maybe you even have some of these in common, so I'd love to hear in the comments or on social media, wherever you guys are watching this, and let me know. Now, I wrote this blog post out first on the Bombshell blog, which you can find at bombshell.blog. And um, I'm not sure that I'm going to do that workflow again. I actually studied writing in college. And so writing comes really naturally to me. I'm not going to say easily, but naturally. And um, and I enjoy it, but it's a very different process for me than talking, <laughs> talking and doing video, which I also really enjoy. So I... I wrote it out, I took my time with each one, and yet I'm sure that on this video I'm just going to be ad-libbing to a great extent. So I've got the blog post next to me, and I'm sure I'll be referring to it just so that I can at least stick with the the 18 lessons that I've planned out and not give you guys something totally different. But I'm sure that I will drift off of what you'll find there in writing if you go visit the blog, and I hope you do, because we had it revamped this year. That was something else that was accomplished this year, and it is a very, very pretty place to be on the internet, in my opinion. So let's dive in, shall we? I want to start with lesson number one, which is never take advice, financial advice, any other kind of advice from anyone that goes against your gut or your Holy Spirit inspired sense of intuition. Okay, so I'm not talking about, 
you know, the senses that you have when you're upset or you're angry. And we'll talk about that in a, in a later lesson as well. But when you really just sense in your body, mm, this isn't good. So my example for that this year is managing the explosive growth of my business. So VLX is kind of the, the overview, overarching, if you will, of several sub brands that I run. Um, and one of them in particular grew 600% this year, which was unreal. Uh, we had our first six figure year. Um, it's been incredible. And yet, and if you'll see on the blog, I have a jiffy of one of those, um, you know, those like rocket boots that you put on in the water and you're like careening on the water. That's exactly what it's felt like because I did not handle it well, not in a, in a, you know, bad, awful, I was a bad person way, but I just didn't know what to do. You know, I've been working on this business for years and, um, you know, I've been looking forward to explosive growth, but I wasn't really expecting it. And it has, it has been like being on a rocket ship and just strapped onto the side and like your face is totally windblown. And, um, there have been a lot of face plants, a lot of face plants in the water. And I've done a lot of advice seeking, quite frankly, because I didn't know, frankly, how to run a successful online business. I knew how to be attempting to run a, you know, a hopefully soon, someday successful online business quite well. But when it really took off and all of the numbers exploded, including clients and customer service and, you know, just number of tasks and, and phone calls and all these things, um, I really didn't know quite how to handle it. And so I made a lot of mistakes. I'll just be honest with you guys. And, you know, I made a lot of brilliant decisions too, but some of the mistakes that I made didn't leave me in the place that I wanted to be at the end of this year, even though I had an extraordinary amount of success. And um, I will be frank with you, it's been hard to not beat myself up about that. It's been hard to focus on the accomplishment, the unbelievable accomplishment of how many women we've transformed rather than like, oh my gosh, why didn't I just, you know, and then it would be perfect. So that's kind of my first lesson um, is, is knowing that some of the mistakes that I made were from taking advice that came from a person who was really wise, you know, not a particular person, but just various people, various sources, even on the internet, just listening to, to wise people tell me how to handle this kind of thing. And knowing that sometimes even they're very logical, very intelligent, very accurate, even for other people in other situations, advice did not sit well with me. Like, not that it was wrong, but just that's not, mm, that doesn't feel right to me right now. That doesn't feel like what I'm supposed to do. That doesn't feel like what would be the best move here. Because I have never been in this territory. I thought, you know, they're way more experienced. I should do what they think. I went with it. And um, those have been the things that I regret. Those have been the things that put me in a position that wasn't everything that I hoped and dreamed for. Um, and so my first lesson this year was really when I made my own decisions prayerfully out of gut instinct, really being in that good space with God and the Holy Spirit where you know you're not acting out of anger or resentment or rebellion or anything like that, but you are wise and stable and solid and right with him, those are my best moves. And the times that I had senses like that, but I doubted myself and I took someone else's advice instead, I absolutely regretted. So the lesson number one, trust yourself even if you're in new territory, okay? The Holy Spirit can speak through your hunches and your bodily reactions to ideas and suggestions. And if someone's wise advice just doesn't sit right with you, ignore it. Lesson one, okay? Lesson two, if you don't love it and you don't have to do it, don't do it. <laughs> and here's a little hint. Most things you don't have to do. So I... And very quickly becoming the queen, if you will, of outsource and delegating because I'm realizing that it frees me up to do what God actually wants me to do. And you know, there's a lot of different kinds of people in my life, as I'm sure there are in yours, and there's plenty of people who have no problem saying no, <laughs> who have no, you know, no issue with not signing up for or agreeing to or going along with things that, you know, aren't necessarily bad things to do, but they're just, they're not something that's going to further their calling or something that's their passion or something that they have to do. And I'm more of a, believe it or not, kind of um, roll with the punches, just kind of follow along type of person a lot of times. And it woke me up to realize that I am so missing out. I am missing out on peace, on free time, on health and energy and life satisfaction and being able to really dedicate myself to only what God's called me to and only what I can do. And uh, so I decided no more, <laughs> no more. I'm jumping off the bandwagon of just follow the leader and 
kind of go along without intention or awareness and jumping on the bandwagon of really only doing what I love to do, what I need to do, and what I'm called to do, and finding a way to delegate, remove, or reduce everything else. So that has been a huge lesson for me this year. I, I keep learning that lesson, and I feel like I take it deeper each year, and I think we all probably do. You know, there's this kind of furthering of each of these lessons that we learn. But that was taken to a new level this year, and I'm sure that in this coming year it's going to go even higher. So that was my big one, and I can sum it up as identify the things that only you can do and love, and absolutely do not hesitate to reduce, remove, or delegate the rest. Lesson three. This one is, uh, is fun to say right now because I'm in this glittery sequin dress, but it is dress well. So working from home allows me to, if I wanted to, not shower, stay in my workout wear all day long and just, you know, run, run my own schedule and look however I want to look. And while that sounds awesome, the bottom line is when you look like a slob, <laughs> you feel like a slob. And when you feel like a slob, you act like a slob. So that's not conducive to productivity or joy. And honestly, you know, a lot of what I do is videos like this. And this one isn't live, but many others are. And when I don't look, you know, like I've bathed, <laughs> quite frankly, um, I'm not really inclined to go on a live video and communicate with my community and my clients, and my audience, and that's not helpful to them or to me. So I found that when I intentionally made the time, even when the babysitter had already arrived and I was paying for childcare, right, to choose to use that time to shower, to put on a cute outfit, to put on a little makeup, to arrange my hair somehow, Yes, it cut, you know, maybe 40 minutes even out of my, my technically paid babysitting work time. But what it did is it made me work so much better during the rest of the work time. I just felt better about myself. I felt more confident. I made more empowered decisions. I put myself out there more. Um, all along the line, it just, it made me perceive of myself differently, which made me behave differently, which gave me way better results. And honestly, even on the days where maybe I wasn't, you know, actively doing business work, it just made me feel like I was participating in my life, you know, participating in the world rather than waiting for my life to start and and feeling kind of like I was on the sidelines watching. Just a simple act of getting decently dressed, you know, just the simple act of getting out of sweats and into something a little fitted and cute and a little bit of, you know, I love my fake eyelashes, so that's always, almost always done, uh, or just magnetics or something that I can throw on, but a little bit of easy makeup and and I just felt like a different person. So the lesson there was how you look is a massive part of how you perceive yourself and how you perceive yourself is a massive part of how you choose to behave in the world. So get over the idea that what you look like doesn't matter. Understand that this is a tool to both influence the way you behave for God and to influence the way people are interacting with you in the world and act like the woman you want to become by dressing like the woman you want to become. And you'll watch yourself become her much more quickly than you thought you could. So lesson number four is be truly present with your children. Now, right now, David is amazing. He took Donovan and Juliet to the playground. Donovan's in the stroller. Juliet's running along beside him. And, you know, just that kind of has to happen for me. Like, I was joking with him before we live. It takes like an act of God to be able to record a quiet video with two children and a household we're sharing and, and all of that stuff. But the bottom line is our kids are amazing. Um, I am very aware of how lucky and blessed we are that we have healthy, intelligent, intuitive, kind, imaginative children who are very good natured generally, <laughs> occasional tantrums, meltdowns, but generally very good natured and very able and willing to play on their own a lot of the time. But nothing replaces me putting down my phone and putting down my excuses and getting down on their f level on the floor and playing with them. And they need that, and quite frankly, I need it too. It's a huge stress reliever for me, and I'm sure that a lot of people will agree if you've done this. It allows you to check out of everything that's running around in your mind, you know? It's, it's a stress reduction practice, and it's essential. So I know that for a lot of, especially probably work from home moms, where when you're playing with your kids, you feel guilty because you're not working on your business. And when you're playing, working with your business, you feel guilty because you're not playing with your kids. Having a sense that these little people running around are irritations essentially um, is inaccurate and it's not helpful to them or to you. And so I wanna encourage you to recognize that this is essential time. 
you know, I follow a lot of women on social media, on Instagram, particularly who have lost children this year or who openly talk about children they've lost over past years. Um, and some of them, I actually, you know, was following them and watched the loss happen. Um, and it was a smack in the face to me to recognize that this time is not guaranteed. You know, this time is precious. These are gifts and they are not to be ignored. They're not to be put off. They're not to be anything. Um, and I, I've really kind of had that sink in at a deeper level that I absolutely must prioritize daily time with them. So as part of this new year, I'm pledging, and I've done it already, kind of just practice rounds, to spend one hour a day, phone down, you know, business work down, on the floor, playing with them at their level, fully engaged in whatever little Minnie Mouse game or, you know, teether toy we're playing with. I need it, they need it, and the lesson there for me has been children are not irritations that are getting in the way of the important work you have to do. They are the important work. And I know that's a paraphrase of a famous quote. I think that's so important to remember. So that's my lesson four this year. Lesson five is to insist on being grateful. So this actually sounds terrible. <laughs> it sounds horrific to, to write it, to say it, but gratitude has always been a little bit difficult for me. And I think, you know, there's one reason I didn't even put in the blog, but one is that my mother was really sick often when I was growing up, in and out of the hospital, you know, on the couch, just, just weeping and, and moaning in pain. And even though we had so much going so well for us, those moments of terror and of awareness of her suffering, I think really sunk in and made me feel like, like, how can this world be a good place? How could I be grateful when my mom is in so much pain? Um, so I think that was a major factor that kind of made it difficult for me to focus on the good things that were also going on. But the things that I did write about were also true. And one is that I'm a high achiever, very driven. I don't want to say high achiever, high achiever tendencies. There's, you know, plenty of things I have left that I want to achieve, but, um, I'm a driven person. And I think that people who are oriented that way tend to naturally, and I'm also kind of a coach counselor type, they're, we're looking for the problem, right? We're looking for the thing that's still off. We're looking for the work that hasn't been done, the issue that hasn't been solved, the, you know, something that can be optimized. And what that results in is that you're always looking for the problems. <laughs> and it can often even lead to always looking for the problems in your relationships and looking for, you know, what isn't right, what isn't right. And that can drive you insane. But it also doesn't lead to looking for what is right, which is the act of gratitude. And then finally, the third reason is that I think it's also kind of a difficulty being a very emotionally aware person. If you know the Myers-Briggs, I'm an INFJ, one of those like I can, you know, sense when the couple on the other side of the restaurant is having a fight type of people. And when you're, you know, trying to be a good girl, don't want to be in trouble, don't want to be mad at you, and you're consciously, constantly aware of when people are upset or they could be upset or they could be about to be upset or something could happen that could make them upset, it leaves you in this like this fearful state of waiting for the other shoe to drop, which also keeps you looking for possible problems, probably to kind of troubleshoot and avoid them rather than being able to relax, enjoy and in peace and look around and find what's going so well, which is again, the act of gratitude. So what I've discovered is that gratitude can't be something that comes into your life. It has to be thrust into your life. It has to be brought into your life. You have to insist on being grateful as an act rather than, you know, stumbling upon it and being like, woohoo, look at that. You know, I feel grateful today. It has to be so intentional. And if you've had any kind of trauma or sadness or you are, you know, very driven or kind of emotionally aware uh, to an almost excessively heightened degree, uh, probably more so where you really have to insist that this is something that you do in your life. And I got actually, I'll show you guys because we're on video, this beautiful gratitude journal that I brought myself, bought myself for Christmas. I don't know if you guys can see that. The company is Lady Jane Limited. It's a guided journal, it says I am grateful, daily gratitude journal. But what I love about this is that the questions go deeper. Like for example, what are you grateful for? Use the space to write or draw some things you are happy to have in your life. And then choose something from the list on the previous page and take time to fully appreciate it. What do you like about it? How can you make the most use of it? Um, describe a situation that has been bothering you. Try to find the positive in the situation. Is there anything you can learn from it? So it's going a little deeper. It's kind of really doing some life coaching beyond just what are the top five things you're grateful for today, which is still an awesome place to begin. But I kind of like the depth that that pulls that into. So 
I don't know if that's on Amazon or something. I found it at Home Goods, but if you guys see something like that, I recommend it. You can always write your own little prompts and start with that. But to me, I think the lesson here is that gratitude doesn't just come into your life. It has to be brought into your life. And if it's not brought into your life, as we get into in a later lesson as well, you're gonna just start nitpicking your own life to death, <laughs> you know? Because the reality is if you're watching this, you have a smart device, you're probably in you know, a first or second world country, you have the ability to understand language, right? At least the English language. We have so much to be grateful for, it's mind boggling. And yet, often because of the demands of modern life, we're looking for the things that we still need to troubleshoot, which is fine. I mean, I think that's important and I love to do that too, but that can kill off gratitude and I think we have to fight to keep it in there as well. Um, so that's been a big lesson for me this year and I must have five gratitude journals now that are not all completely filled out, but at least I have them and that's a step, right? So lesson number six is to give yourself permission because no one else is going to. Giving themselves permission is probably one of the biggest themes that I see in almost all the women that I work with. It could be partly because that's been a big life lesson for me and I know that we tend to attract people who uh, kind of mirror the stories and the journeys that we've been on. But I think this is something that many women struggle with. I know that in the O class, our whole second module is on giving yourself permission. And most women, when I describe that, think, oh, you know, I'm not gonna need that one. I'll just, you know, I'll wait till that's over. I'll skip ahead. But inevitably, that is the module that we get dozens and dozens of emails in saying, that is the one that changed everything for me. And um, I think it's probably because we have been trained to be good girls, especially the women that I tend to work with, where we don't want anyone upset. We don't want to break any rules. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to, you know, do something that might inconvenience someone else. And so all of that leads to this general life attitude of pulling back and not saying, yes, I'm just going to go do that. I'm just going to go invest in that. I'm just going to go you know, experiment with this new hobby or whatever. I'm gonna travel to this place that I haven't been. And instead we have all of the stories of why we can't, why we shouldn't, why it's bad to, why someone will be upset, why it's unnecessary, why it's extravagant. And what I have found is that as long as, again, I'm not indulging some kind of sinful whim, right? I'm in alignment with what God says and I'm in a very good place with him where I'm not acting out of resentment or rebellion or, you know, entitlement or justification. but. When I give myself permission, and I'm talking about even to, to relaunch this podcast or to run my business or to you know get up and work out or to go to sleep on time, all of these things that are not bad and most people would not try to stop me, but no one's gonna encourage me to do those things either. No one's gonna encourage you to do the things that are required either for a basic healthy life or for the bigger callings that God's put in front of you. So I find that the more permissive I am in a good and holy sense, the more I'm able to step into God's calling on my life. And as long as I'm still coming up with reasons why I can't, I really, I never get anywhere, quite frankly. I'm just in the same place year after year, slowly getting older, doing things that make other people happy and being kind of unhappy myself. <laughs> and you know, that's not a way to live and it's not what God's calling us to do and it's probably not gonna change the world. Um, and in fact, if anything, it's probably just showing your children that following Christ is really boring and and restrictive and um, probably something that they shouldn't emulate. So I can't encourage you more as a woman. Giving yourself permission gives others permission. It takes you to a next level where you're more able to serve your family and God and your community and, and just, it starts to blossom, but it has to begin with you because no one's gonna come along and say, you know what, you go ahead and take care of yourself. You go ahead and step out boldly. You go ahead and launch that dream. No one's gonna do it. And so it has to be this, this self muscle that you exercise by continually giving yourself little bits of permission. I remember when we were living in New Orleans, you know, no one was there, family-wise, friends, we were brand new. And um, I, I thought, you know, it would just be beautiful today to take Juliet to the park and to a little French cafe. You know, my husband's at work. Yeah, I've got some chores I could do. I've got some business stuff I could do, but it doesn't have to be done. You know, it's a beautiful day. And I sensed this battle in myself of was I gonna let myself go enjoy my daughter and the day, or was I gonna come up with some excuse for why I couldn't, even though there was no one telling me that I couldn't. It was just this, this very practiced script of we can't do that, I can't do that, there's no time. There was nothing but time, you know? Um, and we are so often stuck in those cycles of doing that. But those little decisions of, you know, I am just gonna sit at the coffee shop for 20 minutes 
and enjoy my drink and maybe read a book or scroll Instagram, heaven forbid, you know, the thing people always tell you to cut out of your life, stop scrolling. And I'm just going to enjoy it. And, you know, be savvy if there's a child at home who desperately needs you and the babysitter's calling, like, hurry, go, you know. But on a day when everything's peaceful, we still can often find that hectic sense in our soul that we don't have time, we can't, can't afford to. And you can. And it's those little acts of self-permission that will eventually lead you to a place where when God gives you a vision that nobody else can see or believe or understand, you say yes to it yourself and with that powerful self-permission, you become what you're meant to be. And then you bless all these people who kind of didn't get it in the first place and maybe never would have given you permission, you know, because they didn't even understand what you were talking about. And so it's these little baby steps to say, it is okay for me to go exercise for 20 minutes while my husband watches the kids. It is okay for me to turn off the TV and make everybody go to bed an hour earlier so we all get enough sleep. It is okay for me to refuse to buy you know, the candy that my kid wants because I know I'm going to binge on it if it's at home. And giving yourself these, these little bits of permission allow you to step into much bigger permission. So it's a process, but you got to begin practicing now. Okay. Lesson number seven, hire wisely, let go with love. So with the massive growth of my business this year, I have hired more assistants and contractors than I ever have before. And while I am unbelievably grateful for the incredible women who are on my team, who I get to work with, I mean, rock star assistants and girls who run the phone calls so much, but I have also learned a couple lessons. <laughs> and again, a lot of it, you know, a couple of them were my own decisions, but sometimes I was taking advice from other people and I thought, I just don't like that person. That's just, that vibe is not right, you know, or it's not the right time. I'm just not sure, but I went with it. And inevitably those were the ones that I regretted the most. Um, so here I wanna say, you know, you wanna really reward the people who are supporting you and really encourage and affirm them. But also when someone, you know, I don't want to use an impolite word here, but when they really let you down, let's say, you know, they, they say they're doing work and they're actually not, or they're, you know, even manipulating the kind of screen tracking things so that you think that they're working. And then when you look closely, you realize nothing's actually getting done. Um, it's very tempting <laughs> to like go nuclear on them because you've been paying them and um, they've been essentially being a little deceptive or lazy at best. So, you know, when I have that, and it's happened a couple times, my my emotional reaction is strong and I've learned that I can't act. Unfortunately, I haven't because I have some common sense, but still the lesson is definite to allow myself to calm down before I tell that person, hey, you know, thank you so much for everything you've done for VLX. We don't need your help anymore. It's been lovely to know you. We wish you all the best. And um, I also will change all of the passwords and remove all access before I let them go so that there can be no kind of retaliation. So um, I've really just learned. I've learned to really trust my gut when someone has the expertise, but I just don't like their vibe. But over here, the person doesn't know anything yet, but they're so sweet and earnest and honest. That's the right hire. I can train them. I can't change the harder the vibe. So that's been a huge lesson for me this year. And if you have anybody who you're bringing on to help in any capacity, whether it's a babysitter, a housekeeper, or a, a virtual assistant, hire wisely and control yourself. Let go with love, right? They're all just another chance for them to have out there. And so there's no need to terminate a relationship poorly, in my opinion. Okay, number eight, own your expertise. So this was an interesting one this year, right? And this actually began in 2017 after um, it kind of was wrapped around our trip to Paris in October. But God was really, you know, I was at a great place in my business in so many ways and, um, you know, fit and happy and productive and our family was flourishing and marriage was great. But I just felt this lack of peace and um, restlessness and a lack of satisfaction. And so every time I took it to God, <laughs> being God and being, you know, lovingly direct, he would make it very clear that it's because I hadn't done what he'd asked me to do. And I knew very definitely that that was to teach about sex by his design. Um, and I hadn't done it. <laughs> you know, I was frankly scared, terrified, scared to pieces, can't even articulate it. Um, I had coached privately on it. I had talked about it here and there. But in general, I had not given it the emphasis and the put it out there-ness that he was asking for. And I knew that that was why I didn't have a sense of, of being completely in his will and his calling for me. So... Um, 
I finally did. And it took, among many other things, me deciding that I was enough of an expert in the space that I could help people. And I had to own my expertise. I had to own it in myself before I could even go out and, you know, convince people of of what, you know, I didn't even necessarily believe yet, but I had to focus on the fact that if I just knew more than most people and I was able to create results with answers that other people just didn't even know, you know, they couldn't even get started, they were completely lost and stuck, then that made me an expert for them. And that doesn't mean I'm the PhD times five in every possible related subject matter, but I was good enough to get started and help a lot of people and I needed to own that so that I could actually get out there and get started and help a lot of people. So owning your expertise um, can be terrifying, but it's essential if you're gonna start helping people. If you're hiding because you don't think you have anything worth saying, you're not gonna be able to help at all. Uh, and that's really the whole point of being here. So it's a little bit of a lesson of get over yourself, own it, you know some good stuff, get out there and share. So lesson number nine is to let God into the equation. So this summer we had a couple, a couple shifts in my husband's career that we weren't expecting. Um, he was about to get a fellowship and then the military changed his orders essentially. And we were not staying in DC for another year as we planned, but he was shipped out to California. And that was in the, I think, eighth month or so of my pregnancy. <laughs> and we were both like, oh geez, you know, this is not, this is not what we really wanted quite frankly, or so we thought this is not what we were planning. This like, this really disrupts everything that we had set up. And um, I will be honest, I was really um, a little bit upset with God, which is such a waste of time, right? I mean, he's the creator of the universe. For us to sit here and be like, well, it didn't do it my way, and I don't understand why, like, it's the biggest waste of time in the world. So after I spent a couple weeks feeling like God had done us wrong somehow, I did the finally, did the sensible thing, and turned to him and was just like, why, you know? And you're not obligated to tell me, Lord, but just what's the point of this? This doesn't make any sense. The most logical, obvious, desired thing was so close to happening. And then just out of the blue, it was ripped away. That makes no sense. And I was, I was hurt for my husband because he was disappointed. And um, it just didn't make sense. And I felt God say, you know, that basically I didn't need to know the whole reason, but that he was protecting us in some way. And that that was something that I had prayed for, for protection over my family and for his will to be done. And so he was actually answering my prayers. And so why was I upset, <laughs> essentially? And, um, you know, we can already see how this is gonna be panning out for the better and for something that God has going on that we can't even see yet. But lesson number nine was just to let God into the equation and remember that he really does have a bigger plan and a bigger orchestration going on. And when we try to cut him out and just manage things ourselves in a way that makes sense to us, we are absolutely missing out. And we may be even setting ourselves up for something that we don't want or aren't supposed to have. So that was our slightly painful, but a very good reminder lesson this year because it's been such smooth sailing for a while. Every now and then you need kind of a little a shake to remember that God is in control here and we are here to do his will, not vice versa. So lesson number 10 is to take care of yourself preemptively. So a couple weeks ago, I came down with a terrible bout of mastitis, which I had never even heard about, to be honest. Um, but it's essentially an infection from breastfeeding and it's got a full range of kind of severity, but I got the works. I had a fever and chills and yet everything was hot to the touch and I was super weak and dizzy and had no appetite and had to just lay down. It was actually the first night that I had my mother-in-law just take Donovan for the night because I couldn't care for him. Um, it was intense. So I lay there because there was not much else I could do <laughs> thinking about how did this happen, right? Because it was early December. Um, I had all of these coaching calls scheduled for that day. We had a beautiful Christmas charity tea we were planning to go to and everything got canceled and rescheduled and um, terrible timing, you know? Um, and I thought, how did I get into this? I, you know, I never get sick, what on earth? And when I sat there and kind of unraveled the situation, I recognized that the previous weekend had been my birthday weekend. I'd eaten a ton of sugar. We hadn't slept much. We'd been up late, you know, out in the cold, all this kind of stuff. And I had been kind of assuming I could get away with it, you know, not taking my vitamins, not eating very well, yada, yada, yada. And, um, and my body was telling me that no, <laughs> you know, um, 
this is not a plaything. This is not a, oh, it'll be fine. This is the body, the human body needs care. And especially as a mom, there are more germs in this house right now than ever before. And especially with nursing, um, there are two people pulling off of one nutrient load, which is me. So it's essential for me to take care of myself. And I think as a mom, it's so easy to get wrapped up in the, oh, woe is me, hashtag mom life stories, which believe me, I get it, you know, bodily fluids everywhere, screaming all the time, it happens. And it can be an excuse to, to comfort eat, to binge eat, to, you know, eat junk snacks or buy them junk snacks because it's all they want to eat. And so we they, and they eat them. And I think women can fall into cycles of taking poor care of themselves because they're mothers with all kinds of reasons. But the reality is, and I know that there's so much behind this, I'm not going to go down this whole, you know, topic. And if you, you heard my teachings on body stewardship, you know that I teach this with a lot of compassion because I've been in the throes of this before. So this is not at all a do better finger shaking thing, but it is essential. It is essential that we take care of our bodies because little people are counting on our bodies functioning so that we can allow and do what it takes for their little bodies to function. And when we go down, they go down because they're not capable of taking care of themselves yet. So our physical health, filling up our physical cup first is, is just a non-negotiable. And we have to do it preemptively so that we don't get suddenly stuck with something that, you know, it's like our health wasn't urgent until we came down with the flu or whatever, and it suddenly became urgent. So take care of yourself preemptively. That was another huge reminder to me this year and um, one I hopefully won't forget again because those lessons are painful, uh, but hopefully that's something that you guys will really take to heart too. I can't, can't emphasize it more. So lesson number 11, moving into our second half here, is the beauty matters. And I have, again, a lot to say on this topic. You can expect a lot more about it in the next year or two. But earlier this year, I took the DISC analysis, if any of you guys are familiar with that. And the whole DISC thing actually didn't feel real accurate to me. But there was also a values um, analysis at the end, and that nailed it. It really identified that I have an off-the-charts value for beauty and for independence. Um, independence wasn't a surprise. <laughs> I kind of already knew that I don't like being told what to do and I like kind of keeping all my options open and orchestrating my own everything, as many factors as I can, uh, which is why I'm in entrepreneurship, quite frankly, not the original reason, but it's been a huge benefit. But beauty, beauty was so obvious and yet I kind of hadn't realized it, being what they call an astete or someone who, it <laughs> sounds terrible the way it's pronounced, but someone who is really, um, really deeply appreciates beauty, quite frankly, in environment, in self-care, in um, art, in nature, and all these kinds of things. And obviously, when, you know, the stuff hits the fan, you do what you gotta do. And I have no problem doing that. Um, I've taken a lot of care of my mom over the years, not recently, now that I've moved out and had my own family, but when I was growing up, there was plenty of of you know, dirty work involved, if you will, in taking care of her and taking care of my little brother who was eight years younger. And when she was sick, I was kind of on. And now with my own kids, it's like mopping up bodily fluids all the time and all the outfits destroyed. The only reason this one isn't destroyed is because my kids haven't been around it yet, but just give them 20 minutes. Um, so obviously you gotta roll up your sleeves and do what you gotta do and I have no problem with that. But I think that we discount beauty as something that isn't important and is a luxury and is something that maybe we'll get to enjoy when we get to it. And I want to encourage you that women are, I believe, designed to create, cultivate, and curate beauty. Um, and I think men are designed to appreciate and protect it. We'll go more into that in the future. But I want you to, to realize, and it was a big lesson to me this year, that your environment your self-care, how you present yourself to yourself, how you present yourself to the world, how you take the time to light a candle, to have flowers, to have, you know, a group on canvas of something that you love, you know, a home goods Eiffel Tower, whatever it is. Um, form is a function. They like to say, is it form or is it function? I believe form is a function. I believe beauty inspires the human heart to keep going. Even when life is hard, that doesn't mean there are dark windows where we just, we're almost irritated by beauty because we're so in our pain. I've been there too. But when we come out of that, as I hope that we always will, 
beauty is, I mean, it's what heaven looks like, right? It's described as extraordinarily beautiful. This is what we're destined for and we long for it. And so little tastes of it keep us going in what can otherwise be a very depressing or drudgery oriented life. And um, so my lesson this year was really to prioritize beauty, not in a way that pushes aside other even bigger priorities, but just to recognize that setting up a little space that's lovely or taking the time to get dressed and put on makeup or shower, you know, or um, drink out of a pretty little mug rather than, you know, some nasty little plastic cup or something. Um, those tiny little things give you the energy to keep going and they're so worth it. So if my awareness of how much I love beauty helps you in any way, let it be that probably underneath the surface, you have a deeper desire for beauty than you might recognize. And if you allow that to come to the surface, it can really bless you and bless others in ways that you might not expect because beauty really does matter. That's why God, I think, designed such a beautiful world. There's a reason behind that. This isn't a, you know, a utilitarian, ugly planet that we live on. It's magnificent with all kinds of extravagant and unnecessary shows of beauty all around. So there's something for us to learn in that. So that's my lesson 11. Lesson number 12 is to understand that you may be called to fight because others can't. Without going into too much detail, earlier this year we had um, some landlord issues where they essentially were asking us to leave on the same day that was my due date <laughs> with Donovan. Um, in spite of all of our military issues, there was no mercy, there was no bending. It was, you know, this is most convenient for us, for our marketing purposes, and you need to get out. And um, I had a couple emotional breakdowns <laughs> around that, but it also led us to investigate the company that we really hadn't bothered to do. You know, I mean, I picked the house because I liked the house. I wasn't looking at the property management company, but they have tons of horrible reviews of how they really uh, charge people bogus fees and you know retain security deposits for no good reason and double charge and all these kinds of things and so we really David and I made a conscious decision that we're going to do something um, we're gonna do it prayerfully we're gonna do it without any kind of resentment or retaliation but our reasoning is because many of the people in those reviews articulated that they weren't able to do anything about it. They moved out of the area, you know, they just had to shrug and, and they left a review, but that's all they could do. But someone who's, you know, intentionally hurting people, I think needs to be stopped, um, not for the sake of punishing them, but for the sake of keeping them from hurting people in the future who aren't aware. Um, you know, a solo pregnant military wife with a toddler is one factor, but though I'm sure there'll be more people in the future uh, who could be harmed. And so, know that when you have a chance to fight, when you have a chance to call out wrongdoing and poor treatment or abuse, and you think, oh, do I really wanna be that whistleblower? Recognize that you may be in a position where you're able to stand up and say something so that the next person who isn't able to fight doesn't have to, so that you're kind of, you're protecting the little ones who can't, if you know what I mean. And I think as a mama bear, that's really even more important to me than it used to be, but sometimes, I'm, I'm not a confrontational person, and if anything, I'm kind of like, fine, just take the money and we'll leave, and you know, I don't care. But it's to keep the next person from being harmed. And so if you can stand and fight, know that you may be called to. Do it prayerfully, do it wisely, but know that that can be a very important reason. On the other hand, lesson 13 <laughs> seems to fly in the face of that, and that is keep your mouth shut, right? I know that we are in a, uh, a culture these days where it's like, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind and I'm going to tell him like it is and, you know, speak up and be brave and all these kinds of things. But, and that is very true. Just like I said, there can be times when that's very important, but I, I find, and I have made the mistakes myself more frequently than I wish that sometimes you just have to shush your mouth. You know, sometimes the, the quick comeback, the sarcastic rejoinder, the little, you know, repartee that's a little too harsh or unnecessary or unloving just needs to be cut off before it enters, you know, the world, before it leaves your lips. And this is everything that James talks about, about controlling the tongue and how damaging it can be when we don't. So when you've got something that you just want to tell someone, at least get yourself emotionally under control so you can deliver it with love. And if it's not something that's going to help in any way, find some other way to get that tension out. Go for a run, go watch a funny movie, whatever go punch a punching bag, but keep your mouth shut because the damage can be lasting. So that's always an important lesson, I think. 
Lesson number 14, prepare to be surprised. I'll kind of gloss over this one a little bit in that that's what our year was, right? It was a surprise. <laughs> we expected to be in DC and not have to move. Um, we expected for Donovan to come when we find out we were going to move. We expected him to come early. It's a second baby. You know, I was walking all over the place, going up and down stairs, doing squats, eating all the weird foods. He was totally going to come early. And instead, he literally did not come out. <laughs> and I had to be induced at 42 weeks, which gave us 48 hours before we then were moving out of our home after the birth. Um, almost more like 36. <laughs> so prepare to be surprised. And I don't think there's anything wrong with planning. Um, but hold that calendar loosely and understand, you know, keep a little smile on your face, a little goodwill about you that God may have other things in mind. And even if it's not necessarily for the better, it will be okay. And so I know that when we were desperately trying to get Donovan to come out, <laughs> I didn't want to go on Pitocin early. I finally had to, but I didn't want to until I had to because um, I feared that whole cascade of interventions they talk about with birth. <sighs> but, you know, he wouldn't, <laughs> quite frankly. And now we've, we've met him. He's the chillest, easiest, sleepiest little man. So he was just comfortable in there. But to me, it was like, this is going to ruin everything. I'm, I can't prepare for the move. We're not even living in our house. Everybody's schedule's been thrown off by this. Why won't he come? And I just had meltdowns. And honestly, I'll go into Donovan's birth story elsewhere on the blog. I already do. And maybe someday I'll write a little bit more about it. But I really kind of saw a vision of a man in white who didn't say anything to me. But he just came over the over the course of that week before Donovan was born. And... Um, and with just this assurance that God is not out of control and he's not cruel, it's going to be okay. Um, and that's really all I needed to know. I wish I could have known more, but that's all God needed to tell me. <laughs> and um, it was okay. So my lesson there, number 14, is prepare to be surprised. And perhaps I'd tack on to that and know that God is a good God. There's no surprise that is going to, to be more than you can bear. Um, so sweet little, sweet little lesson there. Number 15, just a couple more here. Pair down. So right after that birth, I remember vividly, I'll never forget it, I'm sure, sitting in my closet with Donovan on my lap nursing. And you know, I'm in a, if you've had a baby or you've been around someone who has, I'm in adult diapers, right? I can barely move. Um, and I was just pointing, just pointing to things for our babysitter and for my mom to just grab and throw into suitcases. We knew we were going to be probably without our belongings for three to six months. I didn't know where we're necessarily going to be. I didn't know what events were necessarily going to come up, what temperatures it was going to be. Um, and the cleaning crew, the move out cleaning crew was one room behind us moving quickly. And so I was just like, get that pile of shirts, those pants, those three dresses, those shoes, Juliet's clothes, you know, Donovan's baby clothes. And um, it wasn't fun. <laughs> I wouldn't do it again that way if I had a choice. But what it taught me is that, shocker, I can actually exist on 1 20th, probably, of my belongings perfectly fine. <laughs> I don't need 50 shirts to choose from. I can choose from five. And um, I do not promise to give up shopping anytime soon. But the lesson that having fewer things isn't necessarily better, but it does make life a lot simpler and easier has led me to prepare larger bags for charity than I probably would have in the past, recognizing that it's safe to let things go, that there's always going to be enough, and that life on less can actually be a lot easier to breathe in. So that was my lesson 15 to pare down. Lesson 16 outsource to up-level. So if you're familiar at all with the kind of women's empowerment or entrepreneurial space, up-level is a word that a lot of people use to basically mean, shockingly enough, to go to the next level, to level up in some area. And whether that's how you're presenting yourself, how that's you're performing in your business, in your marriage, you know, it can mean really anything. It can mean getting a new computer that works better. That's up-leveling. And um, one of the things that I find most essential to up-leveling in any way is outsourcing. <laughs> because having two children, having frequent military moves, having a business, and trying to keep my body, my marriage, my spiritual life, my sanity intact um, requires that I delegate a lot of tasks. And I want every woman to hear that because I think we get caught too much in getting everything done that's urgent, that we could outsource, 
And what happens is that those areas that are important but not urgent, like your relationship with your husband, your physical health, your spiritual life, your mental health, your pursuit of your calling, your relationships emotionally with your children beyond just get dressed, be quiet, eat it, we're getting out the door, right? Um, can all kind of fall by the wayside when we're just checking off the next item, checking off the next item and kind of irritated by people, those important relationships that are in the way of getting off the next to-do list item. So the only way I found around that, because those things still have to get done, is to outsource. And um, again, not probably, probably no one is going to give you permission to outsource or encourage you. Hey, you know what? Hire someone to do your laundry. You know what? We really need to bring in a cleaner. You should be doing other things with your time. No one's going to say that. You're going to have to decide that it's important that it's a better way to run your life so you can spend time caring for your body, your husband, your children, your calling, because someone else who probably is looking for a job and would love for you to hire them and bring you in, bring them into your lovely family um, can do things for you that are going to take up a ton of time that then free up your time so you can spend time doing those important but not necessarily urgent things. Women all the time think that they can do everything. And what happens is they come to me all the time burnt out with the important things falling apart, but everything that's not important but is urgent is, is getting done. And so it looks like they've got everything together, but behind the scenes, the marriage is falling apart. The children are, you know, in front of the screen all day and kind of checked out of their parents' world. Um, she hasn't had a really intimate encounter with God in a long time or with her husband, <laughs> you know, um, her body, her health, you know, she's, she's on the verge of depression or anxiety or some kind of physical burnout. We have to outsource the menial tasks that anybody can do. So we can do what only we can do. That is part of running your household. That is what the woman in Proverbs 31 does. She has a staff that does the things that she doesn't need to do so that she can be this, this beacon in her town and in her family who is managing things but not doing every single little thing herself so that she can get to the things that are important, okay? So I'm a huge fan. I'm going to preach it till I, till I die. Um, women, we have to outsource. I will skip movies. I will skip weekends away. I will paint my own freaking nails and blow out my own hair. I will have some room in the budget for support, um, Man, it's a non-negotiable. So that's my lesson 16. Lesson 17, prioritize hearing the voice of God. Otherwise, you're getting off path or treading water. So similar to what we've been saying, when you're a driven person, when you are really running a lot of your life really well, it can be so easy to drift and get into a mindset where you just start doing everything yourself because you're good at it, right? You know, you're just, things are working, I'm just, I'm gonna take care of stuff, and we stop asking God for guidance because we feel like we've got it under control ourselves. Um, but the problem with that is that whatever, however you're running your life, you're, you're headed in a direction, right? And if you're really caught up in the efficiency of doing things, you almost might not look up to recognize where you're actually going. And if we're not going where he wants us to go, there's almost no point in, in going anywhere, right? We can be seriously off path. And even though we think we're headed toward a goal that we have strategized, we have researched, we have set everything up to achieve, it might not be where we're meant to be. It might not be where we're even happy. And we get there and we look up and we think, well, I did what I, I thought I wanted to do and I don't even like it. And really, if we had been checking in with God, he would have kept us on the path that he wanted us and that would get us to where he wants us to go and where we're going to be most fulfilled and most productive for him. So what I do whenever I'm at some kind of juncture, when I know I need to check in and make sure I'm headed in the right direction is I get my iPhone with headphones and I put on some kind of meditation music. I get my journal or I just use the notes app on my phone and I get outside alone and I ask God for guidance. I talk him through what I'm thinking. I give him empty, quiet space to talk back to me. I ask him questions, you know, leading non-yes or no questions. And I often leave with clarity. I almost always leave with clarity, but I also always leave with reassurance, with encouragement, with conviction, with um, galvanization, and with a sense of his love and peace and joy in whatever the next step is, or even if I'm not clear on it. 
So for that alone, why would we not prioritize that? Even just once a month can make the biggest difference in your long-term trajectory. So that's my lesson 17, prioritize getting alone and hearing the voice of God. Now, number 18, our last one. Next year, I'll be doing 19. <laughs> I'll have to slowly come up with more lessons each year. This is similar to giving yourselves permission, and that is number 18, celebrate yourself, okay? Again, no one's going to do it for you. Now, you may, and I'm blessed to have this, have people in your life who are very affirming and encouraging and loving and tell you you're wonderful and you're doing an awesome job and what you're doing is important and all of these kinds of things, but they are only going to be able to do that to some extent. And at the end of the day, you have to internalize it and you have to choose to celebrate yourself as well. You have to choose to decide that you've been doing a good job and it's worth keeping going and you, you know, need a, a pat on the back and all that good stuff. So if you are not in a situation where you have loving people around you, encouraging you, telling that you're amazing, and you're doing such a good job, this is even more important and it's going to be even harder and you're going to have to prioritize it more. Now, here's the reason why. This is not just like woohoo fluffy. A lot of research has been done showing that people who look back at how far they've come are more encouraged and have the, the stamina and the emotional energy to keep going because they have a sense that they have been making progress, okay? Versus the people who only look ahead and only see how far they have left to go or how far they still are from their destination or their desired outcome get so discouraged by the fact that, you know, they're not there yet that they tend to give up more easily and, and frankly just get exhausted. So if you want to keep going, it's essential that you celebrate yourself because otherwise you're not going to have the, the endurance and that sense of this is worth doing. I am making progress. It's worth keeping going. And you're probably going to peter out, right? So whatever it takes, and again, if you're a driven person, you're probably looking for the things that you haven't achieved, that you haven't done. What didn't you do yet? What haven't you done well enough? What didn't you do fast enough if you did it? That builds so much stress. You've got to find a way to take a breath and to have this discipline of celebrating yourself. Okay, I know it sounds kind of crazy, sounds a little arrogant even. It doesn't have to be prideful. It's just a pat on the back. It's looking back at how far you've come and saying, hey, you know what? That was impressive. I've done a really good job. I'm proud of myself. We're doing good. That was a, quite a year of achievement. So I hope that you can look back at 2018 that way. I know I'm disciplining myself to do just that. There's a lot ahead in 2019. I'm so excited for it. There's a lot I want to accomplish. But at this time of year, it's essential to also look back, no matter what happened, and force that gratitude into our lives, force that sense of celebration, and look at how awesome it was, what we did achieve and to celebrate ourselves. So with that, thank you for being here with me for this uh, this past hour. Can't believe we've been going that long. But as I shared these 18 lessons from 2018, I hope it's been a glorious year for you. I hope you learned wonderful lessons that you deeply internalized and can carry into making 2019 an even better year yet. Cheers to you and cheers to a beautiful 2019. Today's episode is brought to you by The Bombshell Manifesto. The Bombshell Manifesto is a two-time number one best-selling book, and it's where I really teach the philosophy of the biblical bombshell. After spending years in ministry and now more years running my life coaching business, I see so many young women and even women well into their lives just floundering and kind of flopping around in some of the essential areas of God-created femininity, such as their relationship with God, their relationship with their bodies, their relationship with men, with sex, with beauty, with their finances. And I just don't think we have time for that. I think that we are called to do such big things for God while we're here. We've got to get these areas under control, locked on, so we can move forward toward our exciting assignments and massive callings in life. So in this book, I really give you the behind the scenes of my personal journey, struggling with what God was calling me to be as a woman going back and forth around the over-sexualized ideas of femininity or the completely asexual versions we often see in the church where we're not supposed to talk about that tough stuff. I lead you through the research and the history around the concept of a bombshell, a few personal visions and ideas I have around it, and then the scripture that God puts in front of us as how he wants us to understand the important role we play as women. 
Do you know that a woman was the way that the Savior came into the world and was the first evangelist of his resurrection and then ascension? This is a big deal, ladies. So hop over to bombshellmanifesto.com. Now you can find this book on Amazon, but if you go through bombshellmanifesto.com, I've got a couple extra fun free bonuses and ways that you can actually get free trainings and audios that take this whole concept deeper. We walk through the 12 pillars of a biblical bombshell, addressing tough areas of life like opening to vulnerability and intimacy, understanding beauty and God's calling for it, getting deeper into our confidence and our security, committing to a relationship with God that blows our minds and more. What I see so much from women and hear from them, and quite frankly, I hear it from men who are looking for a woman to marry or they want their wife to come alive in the way they know that she can, is that there's some kind of tapped in femininity that is out there that is possible, but that's incredibly difficult to find. Women long to be it, men long to find it, and this is the calling that we have as women. This is what we're able and even asked to step into, required, I would say, to step into, to live out everything God has for us. But I see so many women who are stuck in mediocrity and are told that that kind of complacency is contentment and that's where they should stay and they should just be happy with it and, you know, that's life. I don't think that's what God's asking. I don't think that's what we're here to do. And I don't think we have any more time to waste. So join me over at bombshellmanifesto.com. Let's light this thing on fire. Let's get out into the world and do what we're supposed to do. Do what we can do. Be fully who God has called us to be. The bottom line is this. The entire world is obsessed with women. And they should be. That's the way it's designed. We are the ones who continue life. We continue the human race. We are always going to be attracting people's attention. We are always going to be shaping human beings, shaping culture, and pointing people towards something. The question is, what are we pointing them toward? Have we completely released and activated every area of our God-designed femininity to do those things well? I hope you'll join me. I think there's no more important calling on this earth as a woman than to live out her full God-given design and to use it to point people to Him. So let's get this thing started. Let's set ourselves free. Let's set our families free. And let's light the world ablaze with the truth that is only in the gospel. I'll see you at bombshellmanifesto.com.